Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of New Hope Underground. I am your lead pastor, Tyler Sturkey, with my, and with me today is our co-lead pastor. Riding shotgun. <laughs> my shotgun pastor. <laughs> shotgun pastor. That has uh, a lot of meaning. Darren Hansen. Hey, good to see everybody. I don't actually see you. Good to talk to everybody. Good to talk to everybody. Yeah. There you the, go. The audience who is listening. Hey, uh, so like I said, this is a very special episode of New Hope Underground. This isn't like the typical episode that we put out with interviews and different things like that. Uh, we are uh, have just kicked off a series uh, called Redeeming Ruth, where we're uh, going verse by verse, literally verse by verse, uh, through the entire book of Ruth over the next month. And one of the things that we just, we saw a lot of, uh, a lot of good feedback and benefit spiritually when we did like a companion podcast for the Ephesian series last fall. Yeah. And so we kind of realized, like, I I remember like in the midst of like, just the like very positive response, you and I side eyeing each other and we're like, we're going to keep doing this, right? This this is going to keep happening. Like every (laughs) time, every time we do like a more in depth, like verse by verse walk through a book, like, yeah, we need to, we need to do like the companion podcast because it just it lets us touch on a lot of things that we normally would not get be able to. We to- uh, and we totally hope this is helpful for you. But let's be honest, a lot of this is us spewing stuff that we didn't get a chance to include in our sermons. Yeah, it's like we like geek out <laughs> in our study, and yeah. I'm like, I know like eighty percent of this no one cares about. <laughs> exactly, and it's just me geeking out over scholarly. Maybe stuff. we should rename this to. Uh, New Hope Underground for nerds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nerd, nerd Hope Underground. And, and today we didn't do a series overview like we usually do. Uh, yeah, typically we do a, yeah, typically we do a series overview for a series coming up where we just kind of give like the big picture where we're going with it and that type of thing. But we realize like with us doing like a week by week, like every week on the Sunday of, that a message is preached, the episode kind of unpacking that particular chapter is going to be dropped like that Sunday yeah. afternoon or whatever. And even though, even though we don't have like a reading plan in particular on the website, uh, read along with us though. Yeah. And the good thing is like, unlike Ephesians where we had to like lay out the particular like texts or areas that we were covering and they were kind of broken up. This is easy. Multiple weeks. This is the, yeah, it's kind of the reason we didn't do a reading plan. It's really easy. Like week one, read Ruth one week two, read Ruth two rinse and repeat like through until we get to the end of it. Four chapters, four weeks. There you go. It's pretty, pretty simple reading plan. Hopefully you guys can remember that. <laughs> yeah. If you can't something, I don't know, maybe you're my age. <laughs> And the memory's starting to get Yeah, so anyway, so yeah, one of the things that I thought I would do like for this first week um, is obviously we're going to be jumping into the beginning of the story in Ruth 1. Uh, I'm preaching on this, so as with Ephesians, we're going to try to, I'm going to try to do my very best to not just rehash some of the things I talk about in the message, which I did. It's tough sometimes, to be honest. I've got some notes of things. There's going to be overlap. We can't help. Yeah. I was going to say some, some of it gets talked about, but then man, there's just a lot of details of certain things that I'm like, man, I just, I didn't realize how significant that thing was. Hey, let me set you up. Ready? Yeah. Yeah, Go ahead. Why are we doing Ruth? Mm. There you go. That's a set of questions. A couple, a couple reasons. Uh, I mean, one, we kind of have a rhythm and a flow in the preaching calendar where we're wanting to focus in on Old Testament 
books or Old Testament themes or whatever at a certain part of the year, New Testament also. Like we're wanting to give like in our teaching like a healthy dose of Old Testament and New Testament. Yeah, a little balance there. And typically the Old Testament comes in the spring, and we've done that intentionally. And the reason why is leading up to Easter that it's it's easy to view Easter in kind of a vacuum in a bubble, but to realize like, man, all of the Old Testament was leading up to the cross. You bet. Is leading up to, was pointing to Jesus the entire time. And so at times when we've done either Old Testament books or Old Testament series or around Old Testament ideas or topics, we do that in kind of the Lenten season, that time leading up to Easter, um, because that season is meant to be a looking back Mm. and a reflection on everything that has come leading up to Christ coming and Christ dying and Christ rising from the dead. And Ruth is a great... (laughs) It's hard because there's things I want to say. Foreshadowing? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of foreshadowing (laughs) in Ruth. And some of it, like, I'm even hesitant to give away in the first week because it, it, like comes out the most in the final week of the series. Yes. And I, yeah. it's almost like I don't want to spoil. Yeah, well, wonder if you haven't read Ruth before, you know? Yeah, like for some people, well, it's funny because I was actually just at a, uh, seeing someone at a, like a rehab center, like a nursing home, like rehab thing, like uh, some, someone who's like in there for a few weeks, like recovering from uh, surgery and stuff like that. And anyway, they, I mean, I was telling them about, like somehow we got, they asked what I was going to be preaching about and stuff like that. So we started talking about the series. And they were so interested and they're, they're almost like, how does it end? Like they literally <laughs> asked me that, like, how does it end? Like, so where does it go? Like, where does, where does the, cause I told just a brief of like, at least in chapter one of like what happens to Naomi and things like that. And then it kind of trailed off. We were talking about other stuff. And then later he's like, Hey, about that series. So how does it end? Like he to ask that. I'm like, it's so cool to like, see someone get like hooked on the story that no, it's like good. that interesting, which is cool. That is cool. But anyway, it's yeah. going to be hard for us not to hit something a little bit, you know, for, to foreshadow Ruth in itself a little bit because because the title itself was Redeeming Ruth. Yeah. Which, which tells you a little bit about what this whole book is about. Yeah. That there's a huge theme of redemption uh, through this story, which, I mean, something I realized even as I began to read chapter one is uh, it's got some major Job vibes. Yeah. Like I never really like really realized like Naomi's story, like what happens to her is eerily similar to Job's story mm-hmm. to where like about everything bad that could happen. I mean, really in some ways worse yeah. than what happens to Job because at least Job got to keep his wife. I mean, he may have regretted it at certain points <laughs> as much as she complained. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but like she literally, yeah. and I'm giving things away. We haven't read the text yet. But uh, she loses her whole family and loses her homeland. And so, I mean, it's like about everything that would be like connected with the kind of traditional understood, the blessings of the covenant, land and family and next generation and like all of that stuff was taken away. So for her to say like, I've been left empty, like the Lord has left me empty, uh, Man, it's like there's just a lot of Job vibes to that, which is interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I, I know this sounds kind of weird, but I think the name of the book actually is telling, mm. because Ruth is not really always a central character. Yeah, I mean, in in a way, Naomi is. Yeah, which is who you're talking about. Yeah, right. 
And she was the one that left her homeland mm. and then couldn't come back. I mean, she did, but had lost some, you know, things because she followed her husband. And we'll get into that. But as far as like the the name of the book being Ruth, kind of tells you maybe overall what the writer is trying to get across. Mm. Because I, one thing I've found is interesting is that this is definitely a story. You know, when we get to the when we get to the Ruth part of the story here, we're talking about a we're talking about someone who was outside of God, mm. you know, who was literally outside of the geographic region of God yeah. at the time. Yeah. And five times she's mentioned as Ruth the Moabitess yeah. or Ruth the Moabite, mm. you know, and it's, it's like the writer was making sure we see it all the way through that she was a foreigner. She even yeah. calls herself foreigner, you know, one time in chapter two, which we'll get into, but I just find that well, the reason, reason I'm bringing that up is because uh, the obvious ties at the end, and I don't know how much you want to get into, like you said, I don't want to be a spoiler, but at the same time, it's like well, a lot of people probably have read Ruth. <laughs> yeah, the, like, ge- the genealogy stuff at the how end. How can you be a spoiler for a movie that's been out a long time? And this book's been around for how many, th- you know, a couple thousand years? <laughs> yeah. It's not like, have you seen the last uh, Avengers movie? No spoilers, guys. It's like, yeah. okay, document's been out for like 3,000 years. Uh, if you haven't heard it yet, yeah. that's, that's, that's more on you than it is on me. <laughs> but I guess I got to say, so because I think the reader has, there's such an obvious, to me, there's such an obvious intention to whoever he's writing to, for them to understand there's a connection with David, the king. So yeah. I just... You know, so it's, well, that's how I ended That's when why I, the name is Ruth, you know. Like when I was talking with the guy uh, that I'd mentioned before, because uh, he was asking how it ended, and, and I brought up at the end, it's like the redemption of their individual circumstances of family restored, and it seemed like so much of what was lost was then brought back. But then, uh, but then I brought up, like, it ends with this genealogy, and you find out, oh, turns out Ruth is the gr- like great-grandmother or great-great-grandmother of yeah. David. yeah. And realize it's like, it's almost this like mind blowing moment of like, oh, so like the kingship of Israel might not have happened had this story not been redeemed, right. had this like seemingly insignificant person not experienced God, God's redemption. Yeah. Uh, big, I mean, it had bigger implications into the world than we realize. And anyway, which is powerful. Yeah, she would have been the great grandmother because it, she gave birth to Obed and Obed to Jesse and Jesse to David. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay. That's crazy. And, and, and she's also mentioned in Matthew's genealogy. Yeah. You know, so that's interesting too, because she was a foreigner, you know, which is really big when it comes to Judaism and the things we've learned in ancient Judaism. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then we're going to harp on that a lot, I think, throughout the course of sure. the series. So you and I actually didn't, I'm, I'm going to be asking you a, a logistical question on air. Uh, we didn't actually talk about it. Are we wanting to read verse by verse? Yeah, I think through it. Why not? Okay, we're doing chapter one today. Yeah, and uh, we're going to just talk a little bit about chapter one. So, thanks for joining us. And then um, this will come out. Obviously, you'll be hearing this right after Tyler's already preached the first sermon, chapter one. And then we'll drop the next one. I think I'm I'm doing chapter two. Yes, on the sermon, and then we'll drop chapter two. We'll record that next week. So, so you just want me to read the whole chapter in one go, or should we read it in chunks and break stuff down? I. I tell you what, let's read it in chunks and break stuff down. Okay. okay? Yeah, sounds good. We'll let you let you read here. I'll read. Uh, I'll start with the first five verses. I think that's a good section to. There's a lot, man. There's a lot of stuff at the beginning that sets the stage for the story. So yeah, I'm reading from the NIV on this. So if you got other other versions, that's good. That's good. 
um, can see how some of the things are worded differently. Uh, so yeah, starting in Ruth one, one in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah together with his wife and two sons went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi and the names of his two sons were Malone and Killian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Limelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. Oh, After- I thought that was I thought it was always Oprah, dude. Getting ready for my message. You know how many times, like, whenever I was like working through my message, how many times I said Oprah, wanting to say it was a real thing. Orpah, Sorry about that. Orpah. I mean, no, yeah, no. Every it's time a, I hear that, I mean, I was the struggle is real. I said, oh, I said Oprah and typed Oprah so many times getting ready. It's but it's Orpah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> One named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there for ten years, both Malone and Killian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Wow. Yeah. So there's yeah. I mean, there's multiple things. I'll just I'll I'll name some of the things I just noticed. Uh, like just right from the get go, which I, some of these things I mention a little bit in uh, in my message. I mean, one literally the first phrase in the time of the judges, mm. like that actually does that phrase alone gives this stark backdrop to the story because the whole story is going to be about covenant faithfulness, not just in Naomi and Ruth and other characters like the players in the story, but God mm-hmm. in the midst of it. And it's in a time when the refrain from the time of judges was in those days, Israel had no King. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. So it's like that time was marked by covenant unfaithfulness by Israel, which makes some of the things that will happen later in the story. Like in this, I mean, it's, touched on a little bit in this chapter, but then beyond it makes it that much more significant. And it's the same thing of like a match is much brighter when you're in in pitch darkness as compared to next to a flashlight or something Mm -hmm. like that. And it's like, it was a very dark time in terms of covenant faithfulness. And so these, you know, this story stands out as all the more brighter because of the time it's set in. No, that's good. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I, I really feel like, and we probably won't hit this much in the sermons, but there does seem, I don't know if the authors do this intentionally, but a little bit of parallel with Abraham and Sarah. Yeah. Think, because coming from the outside, you know, see, Abraham was not Jewish. <laughs> yeah. You know, he he, came, he started everything, right? He was a Aram, Aramean. Yeah. Arama- yeah. So he started everything. So he was a foreigner mm. in a way, but he was the one that was, you know, blessed with the the covenant. And it, it, there's also, it kind of leads up to what Boaz says to Ruth eventually, that Yahweh will re, will repay you for your righteousness, mm. credited unto you as righteousness. Ooh. So there's really some interesting parallels there. I'm not, I'm not trying to get into it too thick, but and I know we probably won't in the sermons necessarily, but have that in the back of your mind a little bit, because you can kind of, obviously this is a story of the author. Yeah. You know, that in trying to, so I, I, the only reason I brought that up is because of the covenantal. Yeah. Which one thing, thing, I mean, if you do remember from my message on Sunday, <laughs> um, 
Because I do, I actually do mention Abraham just briefly. Oh, I'm sorry. Like I not, not, I mean, not make, not making that connection. Like that's actually really interesting. We're like, recording this ahead of time. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I'm stepping on his toes already. We yeah, yeah. No, that. no, no, no. It's good. No, because I mentioned from the aspect of Naomi taking a step of faith. Yeah, like what it looks to like to to walk in faith of doing that next right thing. Yeah, of realizing like. When she, which I mean, we're not quite yet in the story, like her returning to Bethlehem after her husband's died, her kids have died, all of that, um, having no idea what was going to happen, seeming like she's lost hope of saying that's similar to God saying to Abraham, go to the land I will show you. Yeah. So it's like, uh, where? Silence. When will I get there? Nothing. Like, that's the only thing Abraham is told, or at the time Abram is told, is go go to that land and it'll eventually be yours. And so he just has to step out in faith. And so I tied a little bit in terms of showing the parallel there, but like you took it to a whole other level, which is really cool. Well, and well, and then there's also Sarah being the mother. Yeah. Dang, well, man. <laughs> there's, and then now Ruth being grand great grandmother Dave. I mean, there's just for yeah, sure really interesting. So anyway, a couple, couple little th- other things I noticed, just observations at the beginning of that one, the and I mentioned this in my message, but still the, the mention of the famine in the land. I mean, cause lack and loss is a huge theme in this book. And so it's interesting that this begins with a famine in the land, but what's even interesting is that they're from Bethlehem, which Bethlehem actually means house of bread. Yeah. Which is interesting. Mm. Cause then it's like mm-hmm. at, at the, which we'll get to what it says at the end of the chapter. There's, there's a famine in the house of bread. Yeah. That there's a, there's even a foreshadowing to some of that, which we'll get to that in a minute. But then something I never noticed and just looked it up recently, uh, what the names of her family members mean. Like Elimelech means my God is King, which a lot of people had names that were some, something or other about God. You bet. Uh, but Malone and Killian, which I looked up how to pronounce their names, like oh really, like like Hebrew wise. <laughs> so because I looked at that and I'm like Malin, Malon. Yeah, I thought. How it was, do you? I thought it was Malin. It's Malone. That's how you pronounce. it. I thought it he was one of the Jackson brothers. <laughs> so Myron Carl Malone. Carl Malone. Oh, His Carl. first name's Carl. <laughs> he was good at basketball. <laughs> he played for the Jazz. Um, but no, uh, Malone means weakling. Or sickly person. Mm. And then Killian means frail person. And so some scholars have wondered, that may have not been their actual names. Or almost like uh, Jacob got a name later. He became Israel later because of things that happened to him. That it's possible that they may have had chronic illness, both of them. Like maybe since childhood. and maybe So maybe they were named that because they were like that since childhood. Or because of illness, you know that came upon them in life that became their names. Cause oftentimes your names were connected to something about who you are. It's also in direct contrast to the name of Boaz. What does Boaz mean? It means man, manly man. Oh, strong. Yeah. It means it actually means like strong and yeah. God using you in courageous ways, courage, you know, so it's, it's setting up a contrast with those guys. Yeah. And so that kind of explains, I mean, even from a, like, if that's a name they received from early on, if they struggle with, like, cause I remember thinking how in the world did all of them die? <laughs> like, that just seems like really, really bad odds. Yeah. Um, but then realizing like hearing their name, I'm like, it makes more sense. 
if there was some sort of maybe even a hereditary chronic illness yeah. that killed Elimelech yeah. and then killed both of them because they were of poor health. I mean, who knows? I'm, ju- I'm just speculating whenever I say that. Sure. Um, but I just, I never knew their names meant that, which is, it kind of sets the Interesting, stage. Interesting, yeah. But then, yeah, even looking at some of the stuff about the relationship of Moab and Israel, I mean, obviously there's a longstanding hostility between them, like ever since they came into the land, because they tried to say, hey, can we cut through your land? We'll pay for our water. We'll pay for our food. Just let us cross through. And they're like, no, absolutely not. You got to go around, which then led to all kinds of problems of Moabite women trying to seduce the Israelites and them trying to pay Balaam to curse the, I mean, yeah, the language it said was Hebrew prophets denounced Moab's pride and arrogance for trying to seduce and bewitch Israel since the time of Balaam. And what's interesting is a lot of that animosity is not talked about at all in this book. That there was a long standing where like Moab did not forget, forget nor forgive mm. the, the, cause there was even something in Deuteronomy 23 about even though marriage wasn't forbidden between Israelites and Moabites, there was stuff about no Moabite was allowed in the assembly yeah, of the Lord. There, two, there were two countries, right? Up to the 10th generation. Yeah. And Moab, Moab was like two really hated countries. Yeah. <laughs> that God actually mentions. Yeah. Moab, Moab is one of them. Yeah. But it's interesting that even though that's all the backdrop of the story, none of that animosity is really like at the forefront in the story. Mm. Like it's, so it's there. And so you're almost like wondering the Israelites are like hearing this story, reading this story and thinking, I wonder how people viewed these things of them just going and marrying Moabite women. And would you, do you wonder, I don't know, because of a famine, do you wonder how many other people went to? Yeah. I mean, it could have been a, I mean, there could be some mercy there because everyone's being faced with the same kind of challenge. I don't know. I don't know. There could have been a, and pardon the pun, a huge exodus of Israelites (laughs) into Moab. Yeah. You think? Yeah. Maybe out of, out of Bethlehem. I feel like I should just stop there. All right, I'll see. I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> Mic drop. Cue the new Hope Underground music. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, the story starts with some serious pain uh, and uh, and suffering. So yeah, I'll keep on. I'll keep reading from there, verse uh, six. Uh, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of His people by providing food for them, she and her daughter daughters in law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. When Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. I love this phrase. But Ruth clung to her. Mm-hmm. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. 
Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, I feel like that's like the most big, biggest understatement of the year. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. she makes some pretty bold statements. Like yeah. even beyond death, if even death separates us. She's like, I'm not entirely sure death is even going to separate us. I may haunt you, haunt you afterward. <laughs> she ur- She stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord has brought misfortune upon me. Now Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Sure seems like Naomi was having a crisis of faith. Mm. Because, you know, when people go through hard times and they blame God. Yeah. We tend to look at that and go, you're having a crisis of faith. It sounds like she's blaming God. Sure. I mean, he's the one dealing this to me. Yeah, and there's a and there's a sense and she that, changes her name from pleasant one to bitter. Oh, is that what Naomi means? Yeah. I, I knew Mara meant bitter, but I didn't know pleasant one. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean that is it's a big shift. That's a big shift for her, and some of that makes sense in the Old Testament, like ancient world mindset of the. Yeah, I mean it's similar to Job, the law of retribution. Like they believed if anything good happened to me. It was because God was blessing me because I did something good or righteous. And if anything bad happened to me, right. it's because God was punishing me because I did something unrighteous. Of course, Jesus fought against that. Oh, no, constantly. Teaching, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's like there, there's that mindset that would have been there. And it's thinking from the, the image of the covenant of like, oh, I, I thought I kept the covenant. And yet these bad things have happened to me, which shows that even the covenant itself was not meant to be some sort of formula. Mm-hmm. Enter A and B and you're always going to get C, but it's it's more of a, a general description of the type of life God was calling them to. Well, I think the ancient times too, I mean, even people that believed in the time, believed in other gods, had the same view. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the law of retribution was, yeah. it pr- pretty much permeated the entire ancient Near East, regardless of if it was Israelite or any other pagan or Canaanite group. So in a way, was she? you think she was viewing, bringing Ruth and... Oprah with her, Orpah <laughs> with her, that you think that she was viewing that as bringing them into her curse? Yeah, you know, that's an, that's a really, I would say, yeah. I think so. That's I why think she was she, so resistant. And so for her to say, which, and it's like I mentioned, mentioned this in my message, that there's something about moms that they can always hold out hope for other people, but never themselves. Like mm-hmm. they think of themselves last. Like for her, she's like, I'm done. Like any chance of happiness is gone for me. But you guys still have a chance. Like you go on, you you move ahead, you start your own life. Which is interesting because both their husbands just died too. I know. It's not like And so which I is, guess they're younger. Which so. is funny, and I know some of this is a, a cultural thing of life expectancy and stuff like that. Cause it's like if I were to guess how old Naomi was she was probably not that far from being probably around my age. 
Yeah. Because I'm almost 40. I turned 40 later this year. What? I know. I'm I'm bracing myself. <laughs> but the thing is, women got married yeah. at 12, 13, 14, began having kids immediately. Yeah. So to have full-grown sons who marry, she probably would have been in her late 30s, maybe early 40s. Yeah, you're right. But of course, then it's like, gosh, life expectancy for men then was in the 40s, like mid to late 40s. Well, Ruth and Orpa could be teenagers. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so it's funny to like read this. And I think in our mind's eye, cause we think life expectancy is in seventies or eighties right. thinking that Naomi's like 60 something, 70 something, 80 something. It's like, no, she's probably, she's probably close to 40. But then that was basically like, no, you're done having a family Yeah, that Ruth and whoever are probably teenagers. And that's the age you can still go off and have a family. It's too late for me. Cause I'm over the hill. Cause I'm older than 35. I mean, it's just different standards of what's old and young than even compared today. Now, on the other side, Boaz had to have been older. Yeah. That's I've, yeah. I, from what I've read, it Being seemed the, like he because had, if he's kind of redeemer, of the family, I mean, yeah, more than likely he's, he's up there. So bit, but anyway, anyway, but that's, yeah, that's just really interesting to me. Uh, her dynamic of she very easily holds out hope for Ruth, yeah. for her daughters, but not for herself. So it's like it's this tension, and a lot of us live in that of of hope and despair. That sometimes we hold hope and despair in each hand, and sometimes it's like we hold the despair for myself. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I can be my own worst critic. I'm very hard on myself, but I'm easy on other people. So I can more easily hold despair for myself, but hold hope for others. And so, like, you see that a little bit in her, too, of holding despair for herself. There's no chance. There's no chance of redemption in my life. But you guys still have a chance. So if this curse is on me, I mean, I think that's a really astute point. Go off and... It's... it's. I don't know how to get around that. And maybe I'm, I'm reading way too much into this, and I apologize. Pro- pro- probably. And probably. I'll, I'll rebuke you. Go Good. ahead. Good. <laughs> like usual. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think what I was going to say was it's interesting, though, that she doesn't take faith into account here. Seems mm. it seems like what I mean is she she's leaving their daughters in Moab or are false gods. Yeah. She even says go back to your gods. Yeah, go back to your gods. Mm. So there I don't know, I'm having a hard time with Naomi's motive. I remember having I a- think she feels I know what you're saying like you feel like you're but at the same time I almost feel like there's a self-centeredness in some ways no. because it makes me think of, uh, I had a professor in college who would always say this, and man, I've seen it in my own life at times, and I don't like it when I say see it, is he would always say, sometimes our wounds run deeper than our convictions. Mm. Mm. And I think that's, I think this is an example of that. That's good. That her wounds yeah. from all that loss run deeper than her convictions. So, well, that's though, a sermon right there. Though, yeah, it is. Um, though she came probably could have given lip service to the steadfastness of the the God of Israel and faithfulness to the covenant and all that stuff. She does, she's not living it out because she's so swallowed up in her own wounds. And so she's like, the only thing I can think to do is to go back to Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Um, but you guys, you go do your thing. And it's like, I'm not even thinking about the fact that you're going back to Chemosh the fish God, yeah. the destroyer, yeah. the subduer. <laughs> and the one that God says, one of the two countries you don't yeah. you know, mess with. Like you'd think, no, stay with me, come to Israel. Um, like a more like evangelistic sense of like, which I mean, maybe some of that was the hope, at least with the 
the sons initially. Which makes you wonder, I'm just throwing this out, it makes you wonder about Ruth's conversion. Mm. Like, what is she saying? Your people be my people, your God be my God. Is it because she knows God, or she just knows Naomi? Mm. And sometimes people come to faith because they have someone else that they know. Yeah. Who, Which the reality is that may it may not matter. I mean, in that moment, to no, Ruth, it may not it, matter at all. The, the distinguishment doesn't like to her. It's the I just same wonder how thing. much she actually knows. I guess is at this point, yeah. But she just she walks in faith without Ruth. Kind of has a strong statement yeah. of faith there without maybe maybe knowing much. Which that's I mean, and I mentioned this in the message. Thinking about whenever Aaron spoke, whenever we did our core values about growing mutually, he said one of the aspects of that is that as we love and care for each other, we are Christ to each other and to the world as a witness in how we love and care for each other. And it's like, it seems like they're even experiencing some of that here of uh, Naomi and her family, her sons were that in some ways to Ruth. But then you see Ruth be that to her in her weak moment for her to, and I mean, Naomi even think, you know, says, may God show you the kindness that you've shown to me. And that word kindness is Hesed, covenant faithfulness. Right, right. I'm saying essentially to Ruth, you're being like God to me. The fact that when it seems like there's no hope and you really should just give up and be done, this family's over, you don't give up. You're still being faithful even when you don't. There's no reason why you should be. Boy, if that's not a picture of God keeping covenant with us, like he's just a radical covenant keeper with us, like always chasing us, mm. refusing to give up, even when we're running headfirst in the other direction. Like and, that's, and I find it fascinating that one daughter leaves. Yeah. I mean, one, one daughter stays home because she is afraid of the curse, if you will. Yeah. And the other daughter's not afraid of it because she's convinced of the real God. And I love I love how the the story ends, verse 22. I mean, the story doesn't end. That's one of the big things is that it's just, it's a pause in some ways. Verse 22, it says they, one, returned to Bethlehem, the house of bread, as the barley harvest was beginning. It's funny. It made me think of something I heard in another podcast. Are you familiar with the concept of Chekhov's gun? No. You ever heard of that before? The guy and, from Star Trek? No, no. Uh, Anton Chekhov was... Uh, I know what you're talking about. It, oh, you do know it? I know who Chekhov is, but okay. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. go ahead. Anton Chekhov, was a, he's a 19th century uh, Russian uh, writer. Right. And he wrote about this... It was a principle of writing that he would write about that basically he said, if you if you, in your writing, if you say something about a gun a pistol hung on the wall in act one, it better go off in act three. Like basically you only mention things if they're going to play an important part in the story at some point. Mm. And it's funny cause that was like 19th century, you know, thousands of years after this happens. But I realized like the greatest literature, which I would include the Bible in that does it where it's like, I think, I mean, we see, and we'll see in the weeks to come, there's a huge amount of significance to mentioning that the barley harvest is starting. Mm. One, it's a it's a bit of a foil to, there's a famine at the beginning of this chapter. Yeah, that's over. And now the harvest is beginning. Something is shifting mm-hmm. in the story as a whole. But also the harvest starting is the beginning of certain very key events that will lead to good things later in the story, which I won't give away, even though everybody's read the story. <laughs> but it's not touched on here, so I'm right. not going to go too in-depth into it. But it was funny, I was reading, and I realized like there's a bit of a Chekhov's gun thing there where 
they're intentionally mentioning the barley harvest is beginning because it's significant. It's significant to the telling of the story. It's going to come up in an important way later in the story. Somehow I knew you would tie Russians and arms armaments. I'm secret. I'm secretly a Russian arms dealer. (laughs) At least I didn't bring up Chinese balloons. Exactly. Not this time. Yeah. So the story, I mean, the story kind of leaves on this cliffhanger, but like I said on Sunday, I mean, for a lot of people, some who are going through the Valley of the shadow of death, that's the reality right now. They're in the middle of the story and they don't know how it's going to end. There might be glimmers of hope and there can be the trust and hope that God is redeeming the situation, but they don't know how it's going to end it because it hasn't ended yet. Yeah. God's still at work. No, that's good. Good stuff. Yeah. That's a good start to uh, to the series, man. Yeah, I'm excited. Every week is just so good. I don't think we really need to preach the sermons. We just throw Should up we the just podcast. post this? Yeah. <laughs> just post this. They can just listen to us. Just ramble? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't get Chekhov's gun on Sunday morning, do you? Ah, man. I, I literally just saw that like an hour ago. I know. That's what I'm saying. I mean, but this is why this podcast is so good. No, get, yeah, get, it's... You get a little bit of Chekhov's gun. You don't get that on Sunday morning. <laughs> you're you're going to get no You're gonna get no Russian arms dealers on Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, thanks, man. Yeah, it's hey, been good. Thanks for, for all who are listening. Make sure to, to tune in uh, the next few weeks as we continue in Redeeming Ruth.